0: Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the James, James Bond A to Z podcast.
1: Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey
2: of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films by learning about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind.
0: The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond. Eon or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at JamesBondA to Z
1: Hello, you are listening to the James Bond A to Z Podcast. My name is Tom Butler, as always I'm joined by Tom Wheatley. Hello. And Mr. Brendan Duffy. Hi. We are in the letter C um, as we go on our encyclopedic journey through the world of the James Bond films. This week, it's a it's a mixed bag. We're going to be speaking to about a bunch of different people, a, f- a fashion designer, uh, a few actors, uh, an editor and a character. So it's, good. it's a real varied show this week and yeah i hope you enjoy it if you uh haven't listened yet to our casino royale specials they are out there uh worth a listen they are quite meaty um but they were fun to do actually it's a bit of a a welcome change of pace this week i think something a bit more uh a bit more chilled and uh, relaxed let's say yeah
0: i agree (laughs) yeah i definitely had a bit more spare time this week
1: (laughs) (laughs) so c is for castle cyril castle Now, Cyril Castle is a a, a tailor, quite a renowned tailor, who was yeah Savile Row. And he dressed Roger Moore for the films Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun. Um, Worth saying that it usually was with shirt maker Frank Foster. So um, he was Roger Moore's tailor, basically, uh, for a very long time until Roger moved out of the UK into tax exile in the 1970s. So, yeah, who who was Cyril Castle? Well, he, he was a celebrity tailor and he had many famous clients, including Richard Todd, Terry Thomas, Lee Mortimer. And then later on, um, his other clients included people like Terence Stamp and Frank Sinatra. Actually, Frank Sinatra, it's believed that he went to Cyril Castle after seeing the film The Man with the Golden Gun because he liked what he'd done for Roger Moore. So... That's an interesting Mm, fact. Apparently him and Sammy Davis Jr. went to track him down after seeing that film, which is quite interesting.
0: Yeah, it's got a very kind of um, Frank Sinatra style character set up in it. It's it's all that kind of gangster Italian style, isn't it? Yeah. Not surprising that he'd like that. So yeah, Cyril Castle, he dressed Roger for years. Um, uh, Other films that
1: he dressed him on and and shows include Cross Plot, um, Mm -hmm. The Man Who Haunted Himself, one of my favourite of uh, Sir Roger's. Gold and then also his TV shows The Saint and The Persuaders. So, from this is from uh, Roger's book Bond on Bond. Uh, Roger said, When I stepped into the role, I suggested that my longtime tailor Cyril Castle of Mayfair, with whom I had worked on The Saint and The Persuaders, would give Jim a more contemporary look for the 1970s. Jim, obviously, he means James Bond. Uh, Lots of modern colours, sports jackets, and trousers became the new norm. The designs were fashionable yet also elegant and comfortable. I have to confess, I mean, I'm not really, like, that au fait with fashion and designers and tailoring and all that sort of stuff. I found this stuff really interesting to learn about. But, um, yeah, so before Cyril Castle came along, so obviously we were coming into uh, the Roger Moore films after six Sean Connery films, one George Lazenby, but Sean Connery's Bond had stuck to this style or this template, which they call the Conduit Cuts uh, suits. Now, the Conduit style, and that's named after Conduit Street in Mayfair near uh, Savile Row. It is two button jackets, solid coloured shirts, uh, and then unpatterned sort of plain grenadine and knit ties. And the suits are often by Anthony Sinclair and uh, and, and Sean Connery's shirts are by Turnbull and Assa. So by bringing in a new designer it was bringing in a fresh look for Bond so he would keep this sort of simple elegance brought in by Sean Connery but Cyril Castle will help to expand the palette of colors that uh, Bond wore and also the styles as well so it expanded it a bit more and so that first film live' and Let die and then and then a Man with a golden Gun really set the template for Rogers Bond. He then started wearing more double-breasted suits and he would wear more different colours. So where Sean Connery was wearing always dark blue or earth colours, Roger would wear cooler colours, lighter colours and sometimes warmer earth tones as well. Uh, Interesting to to note that Cyril Castle was also a neighbour of Connery's tailor Anthony Sinclair on Conduit Street. And he was famed for having sort of a bit more of an eye on the fashion trends than a traditional look. So that's really suited Roger's Bond. So he he brought in the flared trousers Uh. to to Bond. And it was first of all, it was a more of a subtle sort of look than the white than the bolder sort of flared leg. But that sort of expanded and got wider with the man with the golden gun. Yeah, interestingly, he, uh, Cyril Castle also dressed Yafit Kotto on Live and Let Die as well. So he wears a lot of tan suits as well, and they're quite distinctive. I will say there's a lot of really good uh, Bond fan sites dedicated to uh, the the suits that uh, you can see in the film. Uh, Bond suits, I think, is one um, that I saw. And then there's a, there's another more general films website, Clothes on Film. They have a really good uh, breakdown of all the, the the clothes in the Bond films. But yeah, so Cyril uh, Castle's premises are at number 42 Conduit Street and there's actually a, a shop called Wardrobe there at the moment. And he had a, previously had a place on 10 Sackville Street. But that's basically his extent of his involvement in the Bond films. He he, he helped dress Roger for two films, changed the look of Bond slightly. I don't know if you remember living Let Die, but he, Roger comes in and he's got this real big, like, double-breasted navy jacket on. Mm, yeah. It's quite a yeah. re- really bold look for him. It's sort of, you know, hinting at Bond's uh, naval uh, heritage, without being a bit over the top, but yeah, quite interesting to look into how Bond looks and what he wears in the films. It's not something I pay a huge amount of attention to, but
0: yeah, I, hadn't even, I mean, if, when you were talking about him doing Roger, I've always known that Roger's style changes massively from the previous films, but never really thought about it. I just assumed it would change with the time. So it's interesting to hear that that was an actual that was a plan they actually wanted to do
2: that. Yeah, yeah, it's he, just something you accept, isn't it? When you're watching yeah. it, it's just like, oh. It, but it's subconscious, I guess. Like You know the actor's changed, but you're thinking, oh, what else has changed? But not yeah. actually going, oh, it must be the, the suit. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah he
1: worked with two more tailors um, on his tenure as Bond. Um, we'll we'll look at those at, at, in later episodes. But yeah, that's Cyril Castle. C is
2: for... Cavill, Henry Cavill. So, Henry Cavill is a, an English actor who I imagine most of the people listening are aware of.
0: They've probably heard of
2: him, yeah. Yeah, he auditioned for the role of the Seven in two thousand and five. So, before Casino Royale. So, you just just covered Casino Royale, where we mentioned Craig getting the role, but Cavill got down to the final four, and the producers really, you know, were were pushing going for him but the age was an issue um and so you know the in in the favor of craig because he was slightly older and and that's what they wanted for this and how but, how was um, he
1: then how old was he 22 he was, he was
2: 22 yeah yeah um very young if you young if you can go powerful. on online there is a picture of him in the audition that's all there is there's no you can't hear him you know read the dialogue but yeah he does look very young as well it would have been interesting to see a a version with such a young bond in Casino yeah. Well, the, the the concept works, doesn't it? I suppose uh, twenty
0: two does sound a bit young for for the storyline, but he was meant to be wet behind the ears and a, an early agent. But twenty two sounds like you you barely even started your career. You just yeah.
1: Henry Cavill strikes Rock me University. as one of those
0: guys that probably looked about twenty when he was sixteen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of those big lads at school. Um, yeah. So I think he probably put it, would be able to pull it off. I mean, it's hard to believe. Yeah mi6 would recruit someone of that age to be a secret agent i don't know what the process yeah. is but i imagine they get them out of out of
0: university right yeah well they must they must every time they cast one of these a new bond they must think the best thing that we could possibly do is get somebody young who looks a little bit older because then we've got them for at least 20 years yeah. obviously never works like that but no. if, if it did that would be the
2: perfect scenario so in the audition um so he, he recalls, I probably could have prepared better. I remember the director, Martin Campbell, saying, looking a little chubby there, Henry. I didn't know how to train or diet. And I'm glad Martin said something because I respond well to truth. It helps me get better. Quite a harsh thing to say, I uh, think in this day and age now, looking back, I think 2005 seems like a, a long time ago. But um, he he said it helped him. So, you know. Helped him become who he is now, so I guess that's a good thing. But um, he, you probably know him from playing Superman. That's probably the role that, you, that people are going to know him from. But he did actually uh, audition and he was going to play Superman in 2004, so even younger. Brandon Ruth version? Well, no, it was a McGee version uh, called right. Superman Flyby. Mm. But then Brian Singer came in and recast, yeah, Brandon Routh. ...as the lead in Superman Returns... ...so he, he lost that role... ...but then went on to get the role in 2011... ...where he was announced as Superman... Uh, ...in Zack Snyder's Man of Steel... ...which came out in 2013... Oh, yeah. ...so he's he's got form for um, auditioning for a role... ...not being successful... ...and then getting it... ...so maybe moving forward... ...that might happen again... ...he's lost out to uh, Robert Patterson twice... ...I found that quite interesting... Cedric Diggory in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire in 2005. What? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and Stephanie Meyer, who's the, the author of the Twilight series, she wanted Cavill to play Edward Cullen in the Twilight films. She called him the perfect Edward. But I'm I'm trying to think if I what my view on that is, but I think it's just I don't care. <laughs> right, those <laughs> <laughs> characters. Um, but yeah, he was too old by the time they came around to making the, the film. So he's never never the right age, is he? He's always it's the wrong no. age. <laughs> he has played an Ian Fleming character in 2015 in The Man from Uncle, where he played yes. Na- Napoleon Solo, which for me is probably my most favourable performance of his, I would say. He he's a great snap. Im- yeah. He was in Mission I, Impossible. I don't think I've seen it yet. Oh, I recommend it. It's quite good. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. He he's was in, in that, that as man. well, and then he's been in uh, Enola Holmes as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, well, he's, yeah. Netflix. A, what he has been good in is
0: the Shooters. He was very good in the Shooters. Yes,
1: that yeah. was probably the thing that most people knew him for,
0: wasn't it at the that, time? That, 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 yeah, that, that Well, that's of, his Remington Steel, isn't it? That's his. He, that was four seasons of playing that character. Are you comparing and, him to Brosnan? Well,
2: <laughs> shots yes. fired. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, that's what, what triggered his his career, I guess, and, and helped him to get these these roles. But more recently, as recently as last year, he has said if Barbara so he's speaking about Barbara Broccoli, if Barbara and Mike that's Michael G. Wilson, were interested in that, I would absolutely jump at the opportunity. So that's his response to being, you know, if he was asked to play Bond. So he's yeah. he he's, you know, he still wants to play it and he's thirty seven now, so he's probably just about the right age, really. He's just the right side of the forty, isn't he? Yeah. For a ten-year tenure. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so not yet, but maybe.
1: Well, now that the his time on Justice League and the, and those films looks like it's coming to an end. Yeah. It would it would free him up. He would be the
0: most famous person to take on Bond, like pre. I reckon he's probably at about the same level as. Roger Moore at the time when he got it yeah I guess Roger was pretty famous wasn't he yeah um, I mean the levels of film, films that um, he's doing I mean obviously Superman's a big one but I don't think it's, it's a big one but it's not a, 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 an amazing film it's not like he's done amazing work on that film which I think Roger had done quite a few films before he did Bond as well hadn't he?
1: Yeah, but I think I think fans of those films will say that he that they like him as 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 Superman. I think the one thing I don't like him as Superman. I don't think I never convinced that it, by his Clark Kent. I always thought that Brandon Routh did a great Clark Kent. Um whereas Henry yeah. Cavill I never sort of really buy him as 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 Clark. But then you wonder whether that's because of the 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 1970s Superman films and and the Christopher Reeve Clark Kent that we all sort of grew up with.
2: Mm-hmm
0: um who, yeah i i'm i struggle with superman because i've never liked superman in any guise whatsoever I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm serious, i've got a bit of a biased view towards superman but um yeah i've um yeah he's he's yeah he's probably he probably is probably one of the most famous options that they've been for a bond but maybe that's what they want these days you don't know if it doesn't always have to be the same rules does it you don't have to have somebody who's not as famous
1: no, that's true. The rules have changed, haven't they? And it just—it just really depends on how much he would be asking to be paid, because they always want to pay someone a pittance when they start,
2: right? I think these people often yeah. start out on like quarter of a million or half a million. Well, could yeah. could the fact that he he seems very keen to play it that maybe might drive the price down a bit? They might be able to get get him a bit cheaper. The, the one the yeah. one plus for me, if he was to get it, is we would. Have an actor that likes playing the role back again, and I think mm. that'd be good to get. Would well, be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they all like it at the start.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah, I think the, the problem is with it. A lot of them can't feel they can't turn it down because it's it'd be the biggest mistake. You know, if you t- if you turn down Bond and then two years later you go, got offered Bond, mm. regretting it now. But wait, so once you get offered it, you kind of feel compelled to take it, don't you? But um, I, I think I think Cavill would be like a bit more like a, a Roger or a Brosnan. I think he he would he'd like being associated with that role more than people like Sean Connery and um,
2: and uh, Craig. Yeah. So there we go. Watch this space, Henry Cavill.
0: C is for Chang. Just Chang. That's uh, <laughs> uh, well. That I haven't. He hasn't got two names, has he? <laughs> if you will remember, uh, do you both know who Chang is? No. Go on. No. From the Bond series. So he's. He's. I'm glad I got this one actually because he's. He's one of the henchmen in Bond that I always think of as being one of the worst henchmen that's in the whole of the Bond series. He's. He's. He's in Moonbreaker. He's. He's Drax's. Right hand man in, in Moonraker, and he's played by Toshiro Suga. Right. But I'm, I'm glad I got this one because I've always just classed him as an awful henchman. He, he just doesn't seem in any way to be menacing, dangerous, imposing. <laughs> he doesn't really do anything in it. But after reading up on him, it's a, a slightly in, more interesting uh, actor and, and character and why he got that role. So he was, Toshiro Suga was born in 1950. Uh, and he's really famous for being... He's an Aikido instructor. And he holds the rank of 7th Dan. Aikikai. I'm not going to be able to get any of these right. I couldn't find any finesse explanations of these. Right. But he's he's essentially... He's not an actor. He's always been an Aikido expert. He, he, started, playing, he started learning Aikido when he was uh, 17. Uh, and he was trained by a man called Marihi Ushi, Ushiba, who was the man who founded Aikido. Back in the early 20th century, so he's he's got pretty pretty good at this martial art, and um, he I had to look at what Aikido was because I'd assumed it was like Kendo because you generally see Chang fighting with Kendo sticks and stuff in Moonraker, but it really it's it's more like a hand to hand martial arts, and it is uh, the goal of it is to create an art that practitioners could use to defend themselves whilst also protecting their attackers from injury. So it's like this holistic thing that you're not only protecting yourself, you're trying not to hurt the attacker at the same time. So interesting angle on it. And it's called, the, uh, the I think the translation is the way of the harmonious spirit. So straight away, that's quite interesting. Never th- hadn't even thought about that sort of thing when uh, I saw him acting in the film because don't, you don't really see him do a lot of impressive fighting. Um, he taught military forces in Canada for a while and he had a brief career in cinema. And the reason he got a career in cinema was because of Michael G. Wilson, who was also taught by Ushiba, um, the, the guy who founded Aikido. So Toshiro Suga, uh, he moved, He lived in France. And because Moonrakers had largely set in France, Michael G. Wilson said when he was speaking to um, his teacher... Is there anyone you know in France who can help us out on this film? And They said, "Oh, yeah, I've got just a guy." He's um, and put him in touch, and then they went and met together, and and they he screen tested for the role of Chang, and yeah, he, he he got the role. So he's done the other stuff. He's done French French films that came after Moonraker. Um, you would ever have heard of, or there's a lot of information on even. He still lives in Paris. He works for the FFAB, um, which is is a sporting organisation still training people. So he's basically just an Aikido instructor um, nowadays. But an interesting thing, he, I, there's quite an interesting interview that he did fairly recently in the last, the last few years talking about his career as an instructor but also as a moon-raker. And he said at the beginning of filming, when he started doing the movie, he was placed fourth in the credits after Roger Moore, Lois Childs and Michael Lonsdale. Then, then he dropped down to sixth and then he dropped down to ninth because all the agents of the other actors were saying these guys need a better get a better place in the rankings. Can you can you move them up? So he kept getting put down because he didn't have an agent. Even Emily Bolton went past him who had because she had more scenes of dialogue than him because he obviously didn't speak that much. So they all had these arguments for going higher and higher. So because he had no agent, he, he couldn't defend himself. So he just had to go, yes, it's fine, whatever. <laughs> but he says it's fine because he doesn't really mind. He wasn't an actor. He, wasn't, he didn't really care about that. And it um, was just liked being in a Bond film, really. It just that was what was important to him. So he just said that was an interesting thing. And the other thing he said about not having an agent is that when he went to the premiere in London, all of, all of the cast had their own agents, so they all just got flown over like first class and same hotels. And he said he had to fund the whole trip himself. He had to pay for the transport, accommodation Aww. to attend, the taxi to the theatre. So yeah, didn't really didn't really jump into the world of movie making very hard. Uh, he said that he quickly left movie making because it was very difficult to, to break through and, and Michael G. Wilson has said to him that you've got to go to the United States or you've got to go back to Japan because in France there's no roles for uh, Asian people um, and he said well I, I want to stay in France so that's the end of my movie making career so that's it really but, but interest, I, I see that character as a, in a whole new light now <laughs> and uh, I've, I've warmed to him a bit more than when I originally thought he's the worst henchman in Bond the more you know, yeah.
1: So C is for Chesse, Matt Chesse. Who is Matt Chesse? I hear you ask. Yeah, who is Matt Chesse? <laughs> I thought it was Matt Cheese. I thought it was Matt Cheese until I realised I'd made a typo. Apologies, Matt Chesse. I thought he sounds more interesting. It's Matt Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Born in October 27th, 1965, Matt Chesse is an American film editor, producer and director, uh, made a lot of independent films. Um, he's actually Oscar nominated though uh, for in 2004 for Best Film Editing on the film Finding Neverland, directed ah. by Mark Forster. Ah. So he is known, Matt Chesse is known for making mainly making films with Mark Forster. So the two of them sort of go together. Yeah, so Mark Forster is a German director and, and Matt Chesse and, and Mark Forster, they work together on Quantum of Solace. That's the James Bond connection. But who who is he? Um, his credits include Monster's Ball, Finding Neverland, Stranger Than Fiction, Warrior, Machine Gun Preacher, World War Z, Money Monster, Christopher Robin, and 2021's most critically reviled film, music. Um, that's the one directed by Sia about autism, which has been nominated for tons of Razzies. So, um, mm. yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I'm sure his editing is fine on the film. That's not a reflection on him. So Chesse was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, he's got a degree in English literature, and after after college, he was moved to he moved to L.A. To in, uh, assist a guy called Peter Kagan, uh, who was a director of commercials at a uh, commercial company. Um, he then worked as an assistant to Angus Wall, who is a editor at another commercial editorial place. And then he worked under, and then he became an editor under a couple of guys called David Lee uh, and Lauren Zuckerman. So. The connection with Mark Forster began in 2000 with um, a film called Everything Put Together. And it was Chessé's friend, Adam Forgash, who actually wrote the film, who introduced him to the director. This is Chessé talking. Adam knew what my sensibilities were. We did our Quentin Tarantino film school thing and watched a lot of movies. He vouched for my head and heart and hoped my skills would go along. Uh, and they did. And they, uh, yes got along famously. So um, so Forster then brought Chesse and the crew on that film uh, onto Monster's Ball, which is uh, a critically acclaimed film that won the Oscar for Halle Berry, who would later become Jinx in Die Another Day. So another James Bond connection there. So then uh, after, after Monster's Ball, Mark Forster then came on board to make quantum of solace and he brought match essay on and as we discussed i don't know if you remember this but when we talked about oh, i'm gonna i can't remember his name now um one of the edit, when they brought on editors for tomorrow never dies they brought on two because it made a speedier process yeah uh, the name will come to me in a minute but basically they had Matt Chesse and Richard Pearson, just literally for the sake of the speed of these things, as you remember, they normally shoot these films at the beginning of the year and have them out in November. That that used to be the cadence that they worked for. Obviously not anymore. They make them and then wait three years to put them out. Uh, That's a joke, obviously. Um, (laughs) So this is an interview uh, that Matt Chesse uh, did with a, a website called Movie Maker, talking about his partnership with Mark Forster. He said, we have definitely evolved a system of working together. Our roles have become refined and our tastes have become aligned. I'm actually working with another editor, Richard Pearson, because of the time schedule on Quantum of Scott Solace. And it's the first time I've collaborated with another editor with Mark. So talking about working with Richard Pearson, he said, working with another editor has pointed out to me how comfortable it had gotten with Mark. I think because of the amount of time we've worked together, I could drive everything in the direction Mark likes and he can sign off things very quickly and there isn't a whole lot of talking. It just flows sort of like that secret language of twins. So you can see they're a very collaborative working together, a very close relationship, um, Matt and uh, Mark Forster. So when you're working on projects like this, you're aware that it will be seen. And it is a juggernaut of expectations to step into. That's both exhilarating and intimidating. It's like walking in somebody else's shoes. So that's like him, you know, obviously aware of the weight of expectation with making a James Bond film. Obviously, Quantum of Solace is a film that has many problems associated with it. And have you guys watched it recently? No. Yes. Did did one of you say yes? Yes. Yeah.
0: What did you think? Well, Well, in terms of the editing... Well, just in general. Well, I don't like Quantum of at all. I think it's a very difficult film to watch, and I think it. I don't. I think it lacks the style of Bond that I'd normally expect. It just doesn't. It doesn't feel right when I'm watching it. It just seems to be missing something. Um, but I do remember. I do remember the editing in it actually. From especially that first scene, it's very quick, which I, I did find a bit jarring in that first that first section.
1: Yeah, I would say some of the fight the fight stuff and the action stuff is quite. Um... Some of it's a bit confusing, I think, uh, when you watch it. Now, I don't know whether that's down to the director not getting enough coverage or whether it's down to the
0: editor, but... um yeah, that film, it's difficult to tell with that film isn't it? it could be anything causing it
1: yeah the the film obviously famously was beset with scripting issues because of the writer's strike and you know Daniel Craig was having to write scenes on the fly with it and um, you know you don't know whether Mark Forster was that au with making action films or what but yeah it's a bit of a mess and there's no denying that at all Quite, I find it quite hard to follow as well in terms of what the plot is it's a great concept though you know the follow up the revenge film to, to Casino Royale it's just a shame that it doesn't doesn't Work if, I, in fact, if I, if I was going to remake any Bond film, I think it would be this one, it would be mm. great to ha- let them have another go at it. But they should go back and do that with all the
0: bad Bond films, yeah. <laughs> There's too many to do. Oh, Brendan, he's <laughs> the cynic now. At least we keep all the Brosdens, eh, Brendan?
1: <laughs> yep, don't touch them, put more scenes in, <laughs> get into remake the old ones, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So listen to this. This is a quote from Mark Forster. Um, and we'll do Mark Forster in more detail when we get to F. And we'll also do more on uh, Quantum of Solids when we get to Q. But um, this is a quote from Mark Forster. He was talking to Time Out. He said, I have way too little time to edit. We wrapped the movie just a few weeks ago. And I'm basically editing right now for another week or so. Then I show it to Michael and Barbara, a little preview screening. And then I have another week to cut. So I have like five or six weeks to edit the whole movie. Normally, I've had 14 weeks for any of my films so far. Six weeks for this film is crazy. So yeah. even at this point, this is before the film is released and he's talking talking the film up to the press, you know, as a preview feature. And he's already saying, I haven't got enough time. You know, you've got to wonder what, what could have been done if they had more time to refine it in the edit. You don't know. So just following on from that, uh, he said, this is the same interview before the film has come out. I wish we would have more time to craft the film properly. For instance, with The Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan had a a year to cut his movie to work on the visual effects to reflect, I don't have that time and so compromises have to be made. So you could tell then he knew that point that he was hamstrung with this film. It was not going to work out the way he wanted it to, which is a real shame when you've got all these really great craftspeople like him and Matt Chesse and...
0: Yeah, well, I suppose when you work on a Bond film, you've got to cover your back, haven't you? You your career on the line with Bond, really. If it comes out and everyone goes, that was awful. That's an awful Bond film. Probably, it's probably sat there worrying every day, going, if oh, I've got, to, I've got to say something, otherwise, it's going to look bad on me. Yeah, people just think you're a bad filmmaker. But um... I
2: wonder if there is a a good cut available in there. I wonder if that's available. If you know, if he if he was given a couple more weeks. <sighs> Yeah. If it was like if it was written off before, you know. Are you gonna start a petition. <laughs> the thing is it's you know. got some
1: really nice visuals in it and it's got some really cool uh, in- interestingly edited scenes. Like I don't know if you remember but there's the bit uh, at the start when they've brought Mr. White to the safe house um, and they're in like this Italian town and they've got that uh, horse racing thing going on outside and then uh, Bond is chasing after that rogue agent. And it sort of intercuts between the horse race and him and the chase. And it's all quite interesting. And then they mm. do a similar thing later on at the opera, you know, when, um, when they're communicating the quantum, the quantum people are communi- communicating, their plan over the headpieces, yeah. yeah. And it cuts yeah. between the opera and the fight scene between bond. And it is really nicely done in those, in those scenes. And visually it's mm. a really interesting stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on with water and the earth and fire. So I think there's a great film in there wanting to get out but it's just hamstrung by something and it, yeah it could be the plotting because i think it's hard to follow it's really hard to follow yes. what's going on you're constantly introducing new ideas and,
0: and it, it could have been that it, it was an attempt to fix the, the the plotting through 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 editing but it was just I mean, from what we've heard of the scripting and everything on that film it's it's quite likely that that was an almost uneditable story, editable storyline to to do anyway so make it more action you make it quicker but it just doesn't quite work I think if they'd had
1: more time they might have been able to do pickups and add extra lines in yeah. or you know various bits like that to kind of tinker with the plotting but um fortunately the time schedule yeah. time constraints they were working to just to, just didn't work for it. Anyway, just wrapping up with Matt s a He lives in LA now. Uh, he's got two children, um, and yeah, music was his most recent film. But uh, he's, a, he's a busy editor. He's very much still working today. So, yeah, that's him.
2: C is for Chin, Sai Chin. So Sai Chin was born in China on the first of September, nineteen thirty-three. She is an actor. Singer, theatre director, and a teacher of drama. So she has been in two Bond films. Uh, the first occurrence was as Ling in the, you know, the pre-title sequence in uh, *You Only Live Twice*, where Bond is in bed with Ling, and then they fake Bond's death. And he goes up in the in the bed. She presses a button. They come in yeah. and, and shoot him. So the, so that's it's brief. It's a brief cameo, but that's that's the role she plays in that. And then in 2006. She came back as another character, Madame Wu, and she is, I mean, we don't really know much about the character herself. It's assumed she's a professional card player. Casino you know, Royale you're
1: talking about, right?
2: Yeah. Casino Royale, 2006. She's first seen on Le chief's boat playing cards, and then again, she takes part in the, the main, main event of the film, the, the big poker game. So she's one of the 10 card players. I think she sits next to Bond, doesn't she? I think you're yeah. right, yeah. So yeah, that's um, that's her two uh, two forays into Bond. Her brother was actually in uh, You Only Live Twice. Michael Chow, he was he was a Spectre agent, Spectre agent four, who played. Mm. Um, so I imagine he will get his own section. It may be. I mean, we try and hit the big most of the big hitters, but some do fall through the cracks. <laughs> so she her, her her career. I mean, she's still active now and so she's she's made a lot of films, she's done a lot in her long career. Um so I'm just gonna touch on some of the highlights I found quite interesting. She came to London in when she was nineteen. She moved from Shanghai and it was her ambition to study drama. Her father was a an operatic singer, so she'd already sort of got a, a taste for performance. She said, I was supposed to follow my elder sister to America to finish my education but I received the RADA prospectus, and that sealed my fate. So that sort of took her off course on what she was meant to do, and she became the first Chinese student to ever attend RADA. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, so she studied there, she graduated. And in 1960, she, had, she actually had a, a musical hit. Uh, Lionel Bart wrote a song called The Ding Dong Song. Have either of you heard of this? No. no, it sounds made up. I'm not making this up. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> um, she said, Lionel asked me if I wanted to make a record. Being young, foolish and fearless, I said yes. Before I knew it, I was in the Decca studio with a large orchestra behind me. Lionel al- also asked me to sing very high, which I did, although I'd never taken a singing lesson before. Millions were sold and so this was a huge hit in Africa and Asia, but most were pirated so I didn't get any money. So that's that's a shame. She's had a huge hit. She's not received any royalties from that. But I did listen to it, and um, yeah, I won't listen to it again.
1: <laughs> it's a novelty record, <laughs> is it? Uh,
2: uh, yeah, it is very high. Uh, she does sing very high. So Sai was one of the very few faces that uh, uh, that were Chinese on on Brit- British TV throughout the sixties. Obviously, it was a different time then. You you, you would mostly see white faces. She starred in *Emergency Ward 10*, *Dixon of Doc Green*, which I've heard of. I think that's a. It's about police. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the week that was. Always confuses me reading it out. <laughs> that was <were> the week <laughs> that was. She became so famous during the sixties, actually, that London Zoo named a leopard after her. Wow. So. <laughs> that's, that's pretty so good. So she she was yeah you know, a pretty big deal in in Britain in the sixties. So she she does talk about her bond time because we're coming up to the late 60s that's when she did you only live twice but she's she finds it quite dull talking about it um i guess she wasn't in it that much so yeah. you, you know it's not not and a huge she's part a of other stuff as well exactly so the scene actually took three days that, that that opening scene of you only live twice she says people nowadays are so impressed i was a bond girl so i might as well go along with it people ask me what it was like being in bed with sean connery I say, fine. <laughs> so, so she's not even enamoured <laughs> with Sean Connery. <laughs> mm. So in the, in the opening scene, if you recall, Bond asks Ling, why do Chinese girls taste so different oh, from yeah. the others? Yeah. So this is going to make... This made me itch. It's going to make me itch reading it out. So I apologise. But this is just... I'm just lifting this from... This is dialogue from the film. Ling replies, you think we better, huh? Bond says... No, just different. Like, Peking duck is different from Russian caviar, but I love them both. And Ling replies, Darling, I give you very best duck. So, she's recently asked about that scene now, and she says, It wouldn't pass muster now, thank God. Then, Asian women were especially stereotyped. So, you know, yeah, she, she, she is more than, you know, uh, just as uncomfortable as, I hope, everyone else is at that scene. It's just... But she, yeah, she acknowledges that it, things have moved on, which is, which is good. She also, in the 60s, she also uh, starred in five films as Fu Manchu's daughter, which is also problematic, yeah. <laughs> again, because Christopher Lee played the, the lead role. Mm. So, um, yeah, she's a really successful career. I'm going to sort of skip forward a bit, but, but she's a huge part of um, Chinese and uh, UK relations as well. And she, she's got an autobiography out, which um, is, is a bestseller. It's been printed in 10 languages. So if you did want to learn, go you know do a really deep dive, there's that out there to do so. But in, in 1993, she relocated to Hollywood. And, um, and she lives in LA to this day. And she took on a role of Auntie Lindo in the Joy Luck Club. Have either, either of you seen this? I'm aware yeah. of it. Yeah, it was critically acclaimed, especially her performance. And and the film was touted to to at least be nominated for um, awards, the Academy Awards. And, you know, reviewers are singing size praises. The New York Times said, despite its huge cast, the film is virtually stolen by Sai Chin. It didn't get nominated for any awards. Who knows why that was, but um, it's, you know... A lot of people were up in arms at the time when that happened, so that's one to one to look out for, I guess. One that slipped under the radar. So she she was 62 and she moved to Hollywood, and and she's she sees that as like a third wave of her of her career. She's been given this opportunity to to be in many things. So she's she's been in Grey's Anatomy, uh, Agents of Shield, Memoirs of a Geisha, and uh, I've technically been in a film with her. Go on. Technically. Go on. I, Go I, on. Was a, I was a supporting artist on Now You See Me 2. And she stars in that film. So technically, we've been in the same film. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's magic. <laughs> in 2019, I think it was released last year, actually, in a film called Lucky Grandma, which is set in New York, uh, in Chinatown. And it's about a chain-smoking Chinese grandma who, she goes to the casino and um, she she has a big win, but it's, it's, a, it's gang money. And then she gets all, all caught up in uh, sort of gang turf wars. Uh, watch the trailer, looks very good, the, the, uh, it's got positive reviews. That sounds um, good. I think I might check that out, actually. Um, and again, everyone's praising Tai Chin's um, performance as being fantastic. It's 95% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, so maybe one to check out. And then just just to round up, so there's an interview with The Guardian, uh, which is available, and they just asked her about sort of uh, the last year, you know, lockdown and, and everything. So she, she said, China is under super control. Trump's territory seems to be falling off in bits. The pandemic is depressing enough. Do we need to go there? I'm very ha- happy that I'm going to be pissing off soon. So... Um, <laughs> I like the sound <laughs> of this lady. Yeah, she's, I mean, there, there are interviews on YouTube and she just says it like it is. She does not hold back. She's, uh, yeah. And then they asked her what she'd been doing during lockdown. So she said, lots of little old ladies potter in their gardens. For me, it's my library. It has every subject about China I can collect. And of course, about theatre. So she's massively uh, passionate about theatre, of which she's directed theatre shows. And, and she's um, she continues to teach uh, drama as well. Um, she's also spent she spent time watching YouTube uh, clips of babies and dogs and cats. She said, they cheer me up because they are the purest things I can find at the moment. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, Sai Chin. And, uh, yeah, quite an interesting lady. Certainly sounds like you've had fun researching her. Huh? Yeah, I did. She not yeah. say anything about so, Casino uh, Royale? Not, not really. I tried to f- figure out, you know, if, if it was an... In- it seemed like it's a bit of a nod Right, right. Um, the casting of you know having a uh, and especially having her next to Bond as a kind of a lot of people say, oh, is she is she her, his guardian angel? <laughs> um, that's that's not confirmed, but it's a nice idea, you know. <laughs> but but no, I, I, there's there's not not a lot there. She she doesn't have a, a line, does she? Either doesn't have a speaking role. No, yeah. I, I I always want, quite wonder whether she is she in
1: on Bond's plot. And you only live twice, or not?
2: Well, apparently so. She is. She's she's she's, she's down as an ally. Right. Right. Okay. So yeah, she's because they're kissing, uh, and yeah. then and then he, she traps
1: him in the bed, and then yeah, because she he's, he he's on the bed on his own, isn't he? He's
2: on the bed. She jumps out of the bed, presses the button, the bed goes up, and then so the I, when in. I first saw it, I thought, oh, she's because it's it's classic bonds Bond's always getting done over, isn't he? But <laughs> you know. By a double agent or something. So yeah, I. But according to sources across the board, she is a, an MI six ally.
0: There you go. Mm. So yeah, him. C is for Chin, Anthony Chin. So Anthony Chin, he's he's quite. Um, he's been in a lot of Bond films. If you, uh, but you probably don't know where you will know one of the characters he plays the other ones are kind of extra roles but he's he's an actor who is born in 1930 he died in 2000 and he's he's classed as a, a supporting actor who's appeared in over 50 films and television series throughout his career and it's a very long career as well his his parents were one was chinese and the other was uh, brazilian so he had quite an interesting heritage and he moved to London in 1961, where he spent a lot of time appearing in a lot of shows that we've we talk about a lot in this podcast. So you've got The Avengers, Danger Man, The Protectors, Steptoe and Son, Gerry Anderson's UFO, all those kind of stalwart British series that a lot of actors that have appeared in Bond have also appeared in as it's well. It's like the they Bill and Holby
1: City of the 70s, isn't it? 60s and 70s. Yeah,
0: there's yeah. It's kind of a rites of passage, isn't it? You eventually get to Bond, but you, you you move through the ranks of these various other ones as well. And and sometimes you've, I mean, some of the roles he's had for in those series in those um, series have been considerably larger than the ones that he's had in in Bond. But then eventually he did come to playing in in Bond, and um, the first role is he's he's in Doctor No. He you might you'll know him if you see a picture of him, but only just because. You remember his face. He doesn't. I don't think he talks in it. So in Doctor No, he plays a chief technician. In Goldfinger, he plays uh, a servant at the stud farm. He's actually the servant that brings Goldfinger and Bond the mint julep. Nice. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which I I, I hadn't spotted at, at all before. Uh, he's in You Only Live Twice as control room technician. But all of those roles, they're all kind of uncredited roles. But um, he actually got a, a proper proper role quite a lot later on actually considering these were all in like the first bond films a view to a kill he turns up as the taiwanese let me just get this right it's different titles i think it's like taiwanese tycoon right but it's like a proper role and you'll know who he is when i tell you it's where they're in the blimp and they're all set around the table he's the Uh, he's the guy who doesn't want to take part in the in the plan right and he obviously walks out and he says, Well, that's fine, you you leave and we'll carry on the meeting. And he they drops through the hole in the floor and they drop him over San Francisco Bay. So, proper proper role for him that. And uh it's I think that's quite an important role in that film, really. It's quite a iconic part of part of that film. He's in other things as well that you will have known of, or some that you will have known of. He was in John Huston's The Kremlin Letter. I don't know what that is. He was also in the Pink Panther the Strikes Again, Reve- and the Revenge of the Pink Panther. Um, and also, he was in. He played a character called Mohan in *Rages of the Lost Ark*, and I I didn't know who that was when I first looked at it. And in fact, it took me a while to work out who he was. But he he's, he's a. I think he works in a bar at the start. Um, if you look him up online, Mohan Raiders of the Lost Ark*, you'll 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 know who the character is. But and then he's also in *The Fifth Element* as a as a technician, which I did not remember him being in. Uh, he's done a lot of uh, other work as well. He's appeared in theatre and um, TV adverts. Uh, the only example I could find was McEwan's beer, so that's a that's, uh, <laughs> wow, uh, interesting one. But really, other than that, he's, I mean, it's he's, he's quite cool that he's been in four bomb films, yeah, and uh, over what two decades. Yeah, there's not a lot, not a lot really on on the man. Um, i just looked him up on kind of uh, Indiana
1: Jones so he's in the Nepalese bar in Raiders where Marion is in the,
0: having the drinking competition yes with the guy yeah. one of my favourite scenes that is um, it's good that I didn't actually I was surprised at that one because all the other scenes if you look at this, this guy up and you see the films he's been in you go oh yeah of course of course and your face is so recognisable but in that scene he's not playing I, I, I can't remember where it's set but uh, is it Nepal, Nepal so? yeah yeah, but his the way he's dressed and everything, you don't immediately think it's the same character because he's so used to playing these men in suits, that um, or or like weird outfits because he's some sort of henchman. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting role for him. But anyway, that's um, that is Anthony Chin, a minor Hall of Famer, I think. Uh. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, that's it for another episode of the James Bond A to Z podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Where can people find us if they want to track us down on social media?
2: On all the big ones, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at James Bond A to Z. And on email at podcast at jamesbonda2z.co.uk.
1: As always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a good rating and a review. It all helps to... Help us grow the, the podcast. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Um, this has been yeah fun episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another mixed bunch of topics, including a film studio, a, a film distributor, a writer, an editor, some Bond henchmen, and a stunt driver. So that's going to be an interesting one to talk about. But thank you uh, for listening. Uh, James Bond will return. Thanks a lot. Ciao.
0: The James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley with music by Tom Ingramels and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly.